So we were both uh, down in Atlanta this weekend for a soccer tournament for our kids. And uh, the lovely Concord Fire was hosting the tournament. And my son's team played the Concord Fire team first game. Had a great win, 2 nothing. But every time Concord Fire would go to take a kickoff, there was a dad sitting uh, on the other side who would start by going, Bring on the fire! Every time they would kick off. Um, Sounded like something that was really fun when all the kids were seven, and apparently no one else on the team was willing to be like, Hey, hey, Ted, Ted, let's not do that anymore. But, I, uh, dis- but I, like I disagree. It. I think we need to start doing that before we uh, tailgate. Like as we're getting ready to start the start the the grill, we need one of us to stand next to it and yell, uh-huh. "Bring on the fire!" Yeah, well, I've incorporated it into my everyday routine. I'm just like, take out the garbage. Soccer chat. With two T's, because we're going to chat about soccer, but we're also in Chattanooga, so it's like a play on words. And you know, Chattanooga is a soccer city. Well, episode hey. four or season season four. It's episode fifteen. Sorry, everyone. I, yeah, you're way off. And they, all of you that miss episodes one through fourteen, how dare you? But uh, welcome to Soccer Chat. Alex and Adam are here. Uh, our senior correspondent, Wolfman Jeff, uh, had to be at bingo night. So yeah. he is uh, not with us today. But uh, you'll catch him a little bit later when we get to our interview with uh, Jason Longshore of Soccer Down Here talking MLS. But before we talk about the MLS season that just kicked off, of course, we are a Chattanooga Red Wolves podcast, first and foremost. And uh, we've had the whole offseason. We've had newcomers. We've had people come back. We've had people leave. Single tier. Yeah. To good, so, to good places, though. We're, um, we're going to talk about returning players. We've got, uh, like you said, there's there's a lot of guys that have moved on. You know, we're happy for it. the the places. You know, I think two of the ones that can be mentioned are Jonathan Ricketts and Ricky Ruiz going yeah. to Rio Grande Valley of USL Championship. Um, it's a great a great next step for their career. So uh, I think for the two of us, we're really excited for them and and what they're going to be able to do for that club at that next level and maybe even kind of get some sniffs from MLS. So we wish all the best to them. And, and there's been, you know, a lot of movement, a lot more movement this year than previous years into championship. I mean, heck, look at Omaha. I think they've had six players go to championship, um, right. which is really impressive. But from our standpoint, um, this was the year you, you're you really going to see the first real set of turnover for, for Oblata, right? This will be his third year. Most of those contracts are two-year contracts. So now we get a chance to see what does he do with the players that we end up keeping that may be on their second year from last year? And what is he bringing in new? And so this, this is really probably for most USL managers, other than maybe that first year, that first transition, that third year where you're really having to balance. I can't keep a player that I really was great from the first, first time I brought him in. 
Yeah. How does he transition there? And, and that'll be interesting to see. So let's jump right into this. Of those returning players, and there are actually quite a few, considering this is our fourth year to have, you know, we have one player who literally has been here the whole time coming back, right? Who is the player you're most excited about? So I am low-key excited about Wally coming back for the fourth year. Mr. Red Wolf, Wolefi Dos Reis. Um, I think he's he's going to have more of kind of a, you know, coming in off the bench, bringing some calmness to a game where maybe we need to hang on to a lead, things like that. Um, but with, with 30 games and, and hopefully two or three uh, open cup matches, uh, I think there's going to be lots of opportunities for him to get out there on the field uh, and give guys some rotations. But the, the one that I would say I'm most excited coming back is going to be Rafa Mensigan. Um, I feel like had we been able to continue the Red Wolves season for two, three more weeks, he was about to go off in a big way. He spent yep. most of the year battling little little injuries, things that I don't think ever completely healed. Uh, so he's had the whole offseason. He should be coming back uh, 100% and getting started. And uh, And I think he's going to bring a lot to the Red Wolves attack, someone we're going to lean on. Yeah, I, I, you know, I would see last year due to injuries, and that's, you know, Teixeira. Like, I, I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're talking about a former um, designated player in MLS who, while he is older, he's not ancient, right? He's not playing out there at 34, 35. He's, he's not transitioning to be a coach. He still has some, some legs left in him, and I think he could be a significant difference maker that will allow us to continue to slot Tonke in that super sub role, mm-hmm. assuming Teixeira can really play it. And if that becomes the case, I, we could be very dangerous on the attack. And that's why I think I'm most excited because of the opportunity of a healthy version of him and what that could do, getting crosses from Mensica, getting crosses from Ray Ortiz, and having a, someone who's going to finish and then when you have to, still having a super sub that has proven himself to be the guy who can get you that cardiac Red Bulls experience because of the fact that we can trust to share to do that, um, to be the guy that you start and gives you 70 minutes and then you can bring in the super sub or have him play by, side by side if you're having to, having to get that goal to tie it, right? I, I think mm-hmm. he could be integral and that's, I think, why I'm most excited about him coming back, even though we really haven't seen much. Um, he was a surprise returner. I don't think a lot of us expected to have him come back. And so when that got announced, that totally for me changed my outlook on our offense. The, uh, I, the expectations I think in the front office were that he was not going to be available for them to snap up. And so they were really excited to bring him in kind of late in the off season. And I think you're right. We, we rushed, I think he got rushed into, uh, playing wasn't really 100% match fit, and that's why he ended up getting injured and and missed. But he, I, I was, I was very ready uh, for a full on man crush on David Teixeira from the the little bit that I saw him play. Uh, thinking of like the match in North Carolina, the the really rainy match in North Carolina. Um, like I had the note all written out. You know, will you check this box? To check yes to or him. no, right? And uh, yeah, so I, I am excited about him coming back as well. And, you know, the great form that Ray Ortiz had going into the end of the year, um, you know, we had to miss him because of a silly red card uh, because League One referees can't manage games. Uh, and we didn't have him in Greenville and uh, he would have made a difference. He would, would have yeah. been a difference maker in that game. So you have that, those and, and, three. 
and guys like Josue Espana and you talked about Galindrez as subs that come off the bench. That's a really potent attacking line. Yeah, and and you mentioned you know the the ref situation. That's going to continue to be a situation regardless, and we're not going to go already down on the refs. But um, we do need to to kind of point out that you know that I do want to re mention that Greenville game. We may have lost two nothing, but it was way closer than two nothing score because you know you're in, you're nothing happened until the second extra time, right? Um, right. And you talk about like a difference maker like that's in that game. Who knows how that season ends last year? So um, yeah, I'm it, you know you didn't have Tashera who was injured. You didn't have Rafa really ever getting fully there. You're having those guys back. That's exciting. On the flip side, though, we lost some players that we're having to now replace, which means we have new players coming in. What is the new player that you're most I don't want to say excited. What is the player that you think will have the most impact on the team? Uh, so I'm going to steal from our friends on the Walk in 90 podcast. They had a great interview with Coach Jimmy Obleda, and he brought up Jorge Pais, uh, who's a player that's coming in, played professionally in Venezuela, uh, You know, a, a one of the top teams, team that had been uh, competitive in Copa Libertadores down in South America. Uh, and if you, when they signed him, uh, there was a, a highlight video, his his kind of YouTube highlight video that was shared. Um, and he is just, uh, he's a balls to the wall center midfielder. Uh, they showed him making a lot of really, really crunching tackles to win a ball back, uh, making really good through, you know, threaded passes, putting guys yeah. onto things, uh, you know, taking on defenders one-on-one. And I think he's going to add to Carrera Garcia, uh, we've got Walefi, we've got Jimmy Villalobos. Uh, there is a, I believe it's kind of a defensive midfielder signing, one that hasn't actually been announced yet. But if it's who I think it is, based on uh, little uh, little hints that have been research. dropped to me by my friends in the front office, uh, there's going to be a very good defensive midfielder that we're bringing in that makes our midfield very strong. So that takes me perfectly to, to, to for me, the player that's going to, need to have the greatest impact and and that's Nicholas Cardona because we lost two quality defenders one to MLS next pro and one to USL championship uh, I wish Ramos all the luck in next pro I think um, he, he's got to you know give it his shot and hope that somehow he impresses and gets to MLS I get that um, I don't necessarily agree with the idea that another level three team is going to get you there, but Hey, if it does awesome. Cause I root him the, I rooting for him to, to do that. It would be an amazing story, mm-hmm. but he creates a big hole for us. We we've, that's a big hole to fill. And while I do trust um, Navarro to do his end, I thought he was a great player last year. Um, Navarro was able to do a lot of stuff. He did out of the trust that he had in Ramos. And so how quickly do those guys on the defensive end build that trust back up? Because, Navarro had experience playing with our players before he came in, right? He was he was here on on loan before. He he did some some stuff with some of the players then. You you had, you know, Mr. Chattanooga that had been here from from uh, you know, his young days going through the academies, going to CFC, going to Dalton Red Wolves and on on to us. Who, that would be Jonathan Ricketts you're Yeah, that would be about. yeah, that's Jonathan Ricketts, right? Wait, we that's those are big holes to fill and I it's going to be imperative that that group, that core on the defensive end, whether it, whether it's 
Sebastian Capazucci and, and Navarro and Jorge Luna, how those guys all mix together with him, how well they build is going to be the catalyst for allowing us to have the attack we expect. You know, our, our coach very clearly outlines his plan is always attack, 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 right? He tells us very clearly, like, I don't want ties in the regular season. I'm not playing for a tie in the regular season unless it that's what gets us to, to, to the next playoff. He would rather lose because he was being aggressive and then win two other games because overall you're going to walk away with six points versus three points from three ties, right? He's, right. he's made that very clear. And to do that, you have to have trust in the defense. And until I see it, that worries me the most. Yeah, so I think, I think our back line is the biggest question mark just because of the quality of players that have left. Um, I think the track record that we have over the last three years of Sean McDaniel and Jimmy Obleda identifying good players and bringing them in is a good sign. Uh, yeah. But it really is going to come down to, you know, we also have new goalkeepers. We have Carlos Avales coming to us uh, from North Texas, as well as a young player, DJ Benton, who's going to be a, a, an outside back uh, that plays with the team uh, coming from North Texas. And then there's the, uh, the goalkeeper signing, Tim Murray. Yeah. Uh, who was the you know the Finland goalkeeper of the year? Now I don't know much about the Finnish top level. Uh, I got to assume that it's at least as good as League One. <laughs> if you know, it might be maybe just a tad better. It might be uh, kind of right at that level. Um, but he's he's coming in. He's got a great track record of lots of shutouts and very good goalkeeping. Uh, has uh, played with New England Revolution when he first started his professional career. So how do all how do all of those new pieces fit together? That's going to be the biggest question mark. And you're right, that's going to decide: Are we the cardiac Red Wolves having to come from behind, or are we going to be, you know, seeing out some shutouts and uh, and being able to talk a lot of smack at the end of the game? So let's look at our our what we're expecting our lineups to look like. So here is um, our preseason best 11. And um, I'm going to start with what you have marked as your true best 11 and let you walk me through the position and why you think we're going to look at the, you know, not only this, but why you're expecting this formation. Um, the, I mean, this, this four, three, three is really what we've seen the Red Wolves play from the beginning. Uh, Jimmy Obleda, you know, adopted the same sort of thing. Uh, the outside backs are going to be ones who are going to push up the field. Um, I think sometimes you may see Sebastian Capazucci tuck into the middle if uh, Danny Navarro or Jorge Luna aren't able to play. Um, another new player that we're looking at is this Aaron Lombardi coming from a, a third division in Italy, uh, played at University of San Francisco in uh, collegiately and uh, everything that you read, he is a guy who is going to be that Jonathan Ricketts type going up the left side, up the right side. I think he's mostly a left side. Uh, but just the way that Jonathan Ricketts would get up into the attack and almost sometimes be an extra attacker, even more than a midfielder. He's going to be running the whole length of the field. Uh, and so it's going to be exciting to see how how he comes in. Uh, and then you've got your your midfield three. The two are going to be kind of more attacking. but all three of them are usually very, you know, very kind of an amoeba. It's not like, you know, your one defensive midfielder is going to just park himself in front of the two center midfielders and, or the two center backs and just stay there. You're going to see them, you know, overlap and crisscross and play one twos and, and all of that. Um, and then what I think is, uh, is that best 
that best attacking three, those wingers and, and everyone cutting in, trying to get to, uh, you know, they try to get to that end line just inside the 18 and play that ball back across. That's going to go to to David Teixeira or one of the midfielders cutting in at the top of the, the penalty spot and things like that. And then you're going to have the, the super sub El Tonque. Yeah. Uh, Juan Galindrez, you know, he's, he's going to factor and if Juan Galindrez gets hot, I could very much see uh, him getting the nod starting, starting two or three games in a row because he's on kind of a hot streak and, David Teixeira being the super sub and coming in and you know however however that rotates through the season I'm perfectly fine with either of those guys up as my number nine. So my only issue with this lineup that you've got here is you forgot to include this man who's our top scorer so far in the preseason. Yeah, you gave us an updated uh, one when I brought that to your attention. I think it's a uh, it's a former Italian U23 I believe Uh, his his name is Giuseppe Giuseppe Trialiste. Um, well done. And, uh, yeah. So or he, he took a corner kick to himself and then scored against Memphis. It, it's and impressive. And then had an amazing, uh, free kick as well, uh, against Atlanta United last night. Yeah. So let's jump over to mine. I didn't use nearly as nice a software as you did. Um, <laughs> we got this, we got the same top up there. Um, we've, we've got a very similar, middle area. I've got Villalobos in there um, instead. Uh, it's very similar. The big difference here is I think you're going to actually see us be like you've got, and I've really, I purposely put the midfield like this. I think mm-hmm. you're going to see us be more two defensive mids than two offensive mids. Um, and I think, I think Wally, if he's playing, you've got to cover him because he's a little slow. Um, and so, and since I've got him in there, I think that's why you're going to, I think you'll see more of like this. I think Jose Carrera Garcia is a very good distributor who will drop back when necessary, but he will push forward. And I don't know that we're going to see as much overlap um, with Capazucci. We didn't really see it last year that often. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, you know, Ricketts was originally an offensive player. And was very comfortable with that overlap and right. was, was able to do that. I think Ricky Ruiz was the same way when he was playing in that back position, right? Offensive player that was yeah. playing defense. Um, so I just don't know that we're going to see that again. Uh, I, I hope we do, but I think you're going to see a more traditional defensive set. Um, in fact, this was brought up by um, someone on, on the USL Discord about the fact that we were playing some 4-4-2 prior to our red cards versus Atlanta United too. And they're like, I don't think I've seen that from out of, out of coach Ablada. I was like, no, nah, you haven't seen that out of Ablada. Um, but, you know, I just kind of wanted to say, like, I think you're going to see a little bit more of a defensive mind at times because I'm, I think, and I'm hopeful of this, we're going to go ahead earlier and switch it up. And so that's kind of where I went on that. Uh, two things. First, this must be a new listener uh, talking <laughs> about us killing it with the analysis, but thank you. We appreciate it. Um, also. I would love to see you challenge Walefi to a foot race. Just because I, he's slow doesn't mean I'm not slower. Uh, <laughs> when I played, when I played football uh, in high school, my coach used to yell, "Bruce, you have two speeds: slow and reverse." So, <laughs> and I was an offensive player. That's not a good sign. <laughs> so, all right, um, so let's. Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about the friendlies. Uh, two wins, which is great. Uh, 
Um, we talked about trialist and how he's just killing it. Um, I don't know how much you can take from those. Uh, that first friendly, you know, coach was, was interviewed, um, I think by our own media and posted to the Instagram and Facebook pages where we really only had about 30 minutes of our normal players. The second game was more like 45 to 60 minutes of our, of our normal guys and a lot of trialists getting put in there, getting a chance to impress. Um, and so far it looks like they're doing that. Uh, the big test is going to start coming soon as we start getting longer periods of time. And there's a, you know, this weekend or not this weekend, but the following weekend on the 12th will be the only time you can see the team prior to the season going live. And that's on the 12th at CHI. Um, what is your expectation going forward? Do you, do you take much out of this or? Uh, no, I, I don't think you really can. And I mean, you look around the league, um, you know, Clemson beating Greenville triumph two nothing. Um, you had uh, the Colorado Springs switchbacks uh, scoring seven goals uh, against Northern Colorado Hailstorm. Um, yeah. I think Richmond had to score like an 80, 80th minute sometime in, in, I think, even later, almost stoppage time goal to come back and tie against High Point University. Um, and they're they're all kind of in the same boat. You know, there was there was like six goals in the second half against Northern Colorado when they were playing a lot of their trialists. Uh, so you can't you can't read too much into that and be like, oh, they must be a shambles. Um, their president leaving before they've ever played their first game. That might make you take a little notice. But um, with us, it's the same sort of thing. There's a lot of trialists playing. Yeah. Um, it's two wins against championship teams, two shutouts. That's great. Uh, these are not kind of that elite level championship squad like we're going to see pretty early when the season starts in our open cup draw uh, Memphis and Atlanta, you know, we've got, I think like a, a three year win streak against Atlanta United too. We've played them every preseason we've never lost. Uh, and so that's a fun kind of little feather to have in your cap, but I, I would not take too much away from it uh, yeah. from this game. Uh, but it was a fantastic goal by the trialist. Uh, the trialist that scored in Memphis was different. So we've got two different people that have scored goals uh, trying to make the team. Um, I uh, asked some sources in the front office what they thought the chances were that we might see one of these trialists get signed. Um, and, of course, nothing's a guarantee. Uh, that's part of why we keep making the trialist joke. They, they don't want to say the name and you know get a bunch of stuff out there. Yeah. And then they got to cut the kid. Um, but I think this is maybe one of the most – the odds are very good that one of them may get signed by the end of the preseason. And it's probably more likely than it's ever been uh, that some of these trialists in camp are going to, are going to really get a chance to get picked up with the team. So yeah. that's exciting that, that yeah. they're able to come and prove themselves that way. So you, you referenced the open cup and um, our opponent, if you have not heard is Louisville city, who is one of the strongest championship teams who have one of the, best atmospheres in championship um, there at their stadium. Uh, what are your expectations going in? Uh, and, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a really tough draw. When you look up and down the uh, Open Cup and you look at other teams in League One, um, it's a draw. It's random. I'm not trying to say things are rigged, but we really – got a tough draw yeah. when you compare with a lot of the other teams. And that's just, that's just the way it is. Um, I think it's an awesome opportunity to win this kind of game, 
go to that next round um, and possibly have that game at CHI Memorial in the next round. Um, but it's still, you know, the game's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. It's unfortunately about four days after our season opener against Madison. So you got to wonder about possibly having tired legs. You got to wonder, um, you know, is there going to be, are we going to start the season with squad rotation? Is the team that we see in that first game against Madison our absolute best 11 to start the season? Or is there something that we're maybe holding in reserve because we want to get that open cup win in our pocket? Um, they're going to have to go on the road and then they're going to have to go on the road the following Saturday to North Carolina. Um, that being said, Louisville will be two or three games into their season. They'll be playing that weekend as well. Um, but I think they're going to be just as motivated to make an open cup run as we are. And so it's not the yes. sort of thing where like we're getting matched up against an MLS team that doesn't care. And they're going to send their two team out against us. We're going to be taking Louisville's best shot. It's a, it's a tough ask. Um, and it's going to be a real feather in our cap if we can come away with that victory. So a couple things that I take away from this. Number one, U.S. Open, U.S. soccer needs to change this stupid rule that teams that are on the same level can't play each other in the round that they enter, If even if they're in different um, leagues. That's just stupid. If you're saying that these teams are of the same caliber <clears throat> and entering at the same time, they should be able to play each other. And the reason I say that is, there is a team that's a little bit closer than Louisville that's entering at the same time of a, as us, I don't know, about five miles away, that we were, literally could not play. There's a team in Birmingham, Alabama that is two hours away that because of this whole you can't play each other thing, if you're in the same league, we couldn't play because that would have opened up Memphis having to play Louisville and they can't play each other because they're in the same league. Instead of CFC playing Birmingham or us playing Birmingham and either us or CFC playing the, the opponent Birmingham's playing. Because those teams, those four teams are mm -hmm. way closer to each other than Memphis is to, to, to CFC and then we are to Louisville. Because of this stupid rule, that's what happened. I love the uh, I love that uh, is Green uh, Oakland Roots is going to have to go to Greenville. Is that right? Yeah. And it's absolutely <laughs> dumb. Like, it should just be, this is the level you enter on. And we regionally align you based off of the level you enter in, regardless of if you're in the same league or on the same level. That should be it. And it should be a random, like the way you say, all right, these 10 teams are in the pool, random draw. And just mm -hmm. do create a surrounding area and be a random draw on that. It's stupid to say, well, they're the same level. They should enter at the same time, but they can't play each other. That's, I'm sorry, that's dumb. It also would give an opportunity if you do a random draw like that, it gives an opportunity for two of those teams that entered as qualifiers and earned their way into that round to end up playing each other so they can go to the next round, right? You're not forcing them to end up having to play a championship team or a or a League One team or a NISA team while the other – it's just it, – it's stupid. If you're saying that's the level they're at, you either earn your way in or this is the level you're on, you should be able to play each other. That's my view on it. And especially – if you're not in the same league, like league one teams should be able to be matched up with, with NISA teams. The, the, the two teams in, in Rochester, the, the one from MLS pro and the NISA team should be able to play each other when they uh -huh. go into the, into the open cup. It should just be like, Hey, you're going to play each other. Cause regionally aligned, you literally are feet from each other. Same with CFC and, and Red Wolves. That should be like a regular, like, Hey, it's open cup season. Guess who we're playing the closest team. Like, that should be fine. Or at least put us in a pool so that when you're, it's us, it's Birmingham, it's 
it's CFC, it's yeah, um, whatever, Charlotte. like Charlotte, yeah. you know, Greenville, Statesboro, wh- whatever it is. It, it it just it bothers me, and and I don't know that they're going to ever change that, but they should because it shouldn't be that we have to beat. Louisville or whoever we play and they have to beat Memphis for us to have the chance to play each other in the next round because the next round they do regionally as well right and they take that that cuff off of there so like we're guaranteed like if they beat Memphis and we beat Louisville we're going to play CFC in the next round but why should we have to beat two other teams to play a team that is feet from us like it doesn't make any sense anyways all right I'm done with that Park City's also in do you know anything about what they're going to be facing uh, they are going to be playing, I believe, one of those, um, you know, regional semi-pro qualifiers. I think they're called the Las Vegas Aces, but I could be way off on that. They will be playing a club from Las Vegas, and if they win, they will have the opportunity to face off against New Mexico. What do they call themselves? United, New Mexico FC. Yeah, New Mexico United. Uh, New Mexico United in the second round. Uh, so their their match will be. Uh, on the 18th uh, in that first one. And I believe that is going to be on ESPN plus. I think all of it should be ESPN plus. Uh, So we'll have a chance where we can watch them. Um, We're, we're currently in negotiations uh, trying to, to get some brisket that'll keep to send out to park city. So we can have park city's coach on to talk with us. Um, And uh, so good luck to them. Uh, they get a chance to to do that. Uh, they earned it with uh, with a really strong show and getting to uh, the uh, the League Two championship game against Portland Timbers two. Uh, so or no, Portland Timbers U twenty three. Sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, um, we're really excited about what they're going to do, and and hopefully in our next episode we'll have more on that. Uh, maybe getting a chance to talk with Park City's coach about what they're building out there in Utah. Uh, there is, of course. Uh, a new player, Johnny Gardarama, who was signed from uh, that Park City Red Wolves team that's coming to join the club this year. Excellent. All right. Well, that takes us to the the big interview for us. And we really enjoyed this interview. Um, and and you got an opportunity to to talk MLS, to, to talk about the impact of, of Charlotte and Nashville on Atlanta soccer. And it's just a really good overall interview. So we really hope you guys enjoy it. And so without further ado, here is our, our interview with Jason Longshore of soccer down here. of the soccer down here podcast thanks for joining us jason we're gonna we're gonna kind of go through the range of of american soccer american soccer's back uh went down to a high school game in dalton a couple weekends ago uh got to watch them play that was a lot of fun uh mls just kicked off usl championship is a couple weeks from now and uh, of course league one gonna be starting in the spring uh with some of those other third division leagues um, mostly we want to talk to you about, uh, MLS. We've got a lot of Atlanta and Nashville fans, obviously in, uh, in the Chattanooga area, um, because I grew up in Oregon, I'm a timber questions, but my one timbers question that I want to ask you is goal of the year race already over after one week. There's at least a leader in the clubhouse. Uh, what a goal from Jimmy Chadra. Um, 
And what a moment. That was a great match. That was a fun back and forth match. I do have my concerns about your timbers, though. I, I do worry a little bit that maybe it is closer to the end of this era than the beginning. And I, I think Sabarese did an amazing job last year to get them as far as they did. I don't know if he can do that again. Um, we'll see. We'll see. They, they've added a couple pieces that I like, but I don't know. Right. It just feels like it's, it's getting cl- close to the end of, of this era with Portland. You, you look at kind of the, the best 11 and there's a lot of repaired ACLs out there. Yeah. And uh, it does definitely give you pause and they're always going to have a slump and they're always going to have a hot streak. Um, and, uh, and they're going to end up somewhere between fourth and eighth. And we'll see what happens when it comes playoff time. Yeah, I hate that Gio hasn't been able to win an MLS Cup with that team. He's one of my favorite people in the league. Um, I think he's one of the best people in the league. Just a, mm-hmm. a great guy. Um, I've talked to Jimmy Maurer, who's in Dallas and played for, for Gio with the New York Cosmos for a number of years. Um, I think Maurer and, and many of his former teammates would run through walls for him. He's just such a good guy that I'd love to see him get that trophy, but uh, not this year because there's a team that I work for that I'd like to see get the trophy first. <laughs> so he he reminds me a lot of Chattanooga Red Wolves, Jimmy Obleda, just a very passionate on the sideline yeah. and a guy that you can tell really, really loves his players and wants what's best for them. That's a good shout. I think we're getting more guys like that in the league. Um, Gonzalo Pineda reminds me of that as well here mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Um, Peter Vermes, I think with his passion on the touchline for Kansas City, you get that number of, of managers that I think are, are starting to realize that while, yeah, this is a game where there's a lot of tactics involved, a lot of X's and O's and that worked on a training pitch, it's an emotional game. And sometimes those little things can put you over the top in a game when, when you're getting that, I think, backup from your boss on the touchline. So let's talk about Atlanta United. Uh, you mentioned uh, Gonzalo Pineda took over uh, after a very slow start and started an incredible turnaround uh, for Atlanta United at the end of last season. Uh, they're a team that, you know, the Timbers uh, seems to bring in sometimes a little bit of older South American player, but Atlanta United is really committed to bringing in young talent from South America and giving them an opportunity to prove themselves and maybe move on to uh, somewhere in Europe if that's if that's what their goal is, uh, or they you know they stick around and become a legend like Joseph Martinez. Uh, what do you see now that they have a, a full off season with Gonzalo Pineda? What do you expect Atlanta United to to do this year? I think this is a team that is expecting to contend for MLS cup for the supporter shield for the open cup. Uh, I think they have the quality to do it. What Pineda did when he took over last year, they went seven, three and three, and he really wasn't able to implement his game model because when he took over, it was a team on the outside of the playoff picture. Um, it was a team that with the crowded schedule that Atlanta had at the end of last season, didn't really have a lot of training time. So we couldn't change the tactics in a big way. He had to kind of move pieces around and, and find something that would work. And I think this year we're seeing some differences. They're playing more in preseason and so far in game one, it's been exclusively out of a 4-3-3 rather than three center backs. Big difference in what we saw last year. 
Um, I think you're seeing more counter pressure, at least early in the game on Sunday. And we'll, we'll talk about why that changed. Um, but we saw it throughout the preseason, too. This is going to be a really aggressive team in winning the ball back. I think they're not a pressing team solely because they want possession. They want to create chances. When you have the quality on the ball, you want the ball. But the difference maybe this year than the first half of last year under Gabriel Heinze and under Frank DeBoer and, and honestly under Tata Martino as well, I think people kind of hold on to this idea of the Peachtree Press, which was a, a thing in 2017 in the first half of the season, that went away over Tata's two years. And, and the team sat back a little bit more. It was an older backline with less pace. When you get Miles Robinson, who can close down anything that gets over the top, when you have George Campbell, when you have Alan Franco, you have Andrew Gutman, you have Brooks Linden or Ronald Hernandez. You've got speedsters in the back, so you can be more aggressive. You can take more chances with your pressure. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen that's different under Pineda is the 4-3-3, but more than anything, aggressive pressure to win the ball back. And they're going to create opportunities through their work on the ball because especially once you get Tiago Almada into this group, he's an incredibly talented playmaker. But you're also going to create a number of goals through quick turnovers and quick runs at goal. Now, I know um, after they won the league, what, what year was that? Was that 2019? 18. 2018. And uh, obviously, once Atlanta hit the ground here, I think uh, it surprised a lot of people because it wasn't – I don't think the rest of the country had – realized you know how serious soccer is here and of course in between us and atlanta is dalton georgia which is a hotbed for a lot of young talent um but i kind of felt like the expectation was by some of the atlanta fans was that once they won the league that this is going to be like a lakers dynasty and they're just gonna you know continue on uh do you think that has uh, that momentum has come back or or has it maybe dropped a little bit now that there's three teams in the South? I don't think the other teams in the South have have dented it. I think that's honestly going to help it in the long run. Um, once we get Nashville back in the Eastern Conference, I think it'll, it'll definitely help. Uh, it'll help them not having to go out West all the time. That's going to be a lot of frequent flyer miles this season. Jeez. Um <laughs> Yeah. I think there's going to be a nice rivalry with Charlotte and that's going to get fan bases on both sides. Really excited. I do think that it's been maybe a little bit of an awakening for Atlanta United fans because of how hard it is to win an MLS year after year. Yeah. The top, top clubs don't do it. Um, I mean, Seattle gets to the playoffs. They get deep. They've won trophies. They don't win every year. LAFC. We saw how hard it was for them. They missed the playoffs last year. Um, they don't have an MLS Cup yet. They don't have an Open Cup yet. It, it's not easy to do what Atlanta did in its first three years. And then when you get into year four, 2020, and you lose Joseph Martinez to an ACL, and then you have the COVID disruptions that just made everything difficult in dealing with abrupt change, it was a struggle. Last year was a, a kind of a weird year at first because – you go back to the Gabriel Heinze hire, everybody worldwide, everybody in this country, everybody in this region thought it was a great hire. 
because mm-hmm. of his track record, because of what he was bringing to the table, it never fit. It never clicked. And, you know, I mentioned the, the counter pressure that, or the pressing that we're seeing from Atlanta United. That's a hallmark of Gabriel Heinze's system. And it just didn't happen here for whatever reason. And it changed once Pineda took over. And I, I never could figure that out. Um, Heinze just didn't fit. And once that changed and Pineda came back in, you started to get these wins. Maybe there is a little bit of a burst. I'm hearing from people, you know, and I, I hate that this is even part of the conversation. I, I saw it on, on Sunday, like, oh, the old Atlanta United's back. It's they won. Like, you know, like they won. That's that's good. That's what you want. But the way that they played, they played that way last year. They played that way in 2019 where they won an Open Cup and got to an Eastern Conference final. Um, there are subtle differences. But I think maybe things get overblown at times. It's a good problem to have. And that's the, the thing that maybe is something that we all do have to remind ourselves of. In some parts of the country there isn't this conversation about the local MLS team or the local USL championship team or USL league one team. There isn't that constant narrative and constant expectation, even if it is like super high and maybe un unreasonably high, it's not there. Here yeah. We're lucky that we have it and we're lucky we get to have this conversation. I do hope that over time, I think people understand and appreciate how hard it is to do what Atlanta did in its first three years, because yeah. there's really not a comparison for another expansion team that came in and did that. LAFC did not have the same success that Atlanta United United did in its first three years. They won a supporter shield. Atlanta won the big trophy MLS cup and a U.S. open cup in its first three. Toronto did rather well, but I don't think it had quite the stay. Took them a long time. It, yeah. it Toronto honestly is, I, I think, uh, a sign of how how long it can take. They made so many mistakes in their first five, six years. It was really, I mean, they won everything in 2017. We'll leave the Canadian Championship out of it because it's it's gotten a lot harder to win now with more teams Uh-oh. in the Canadian Premier League. <laughs> Back in the day when you had like three yeah. teams, you know, it's a little bit different. Um. But it took them to 2017. They came in in 2007. You know, you got to go back to really Chicago in 98, the third year of the league, to see an expansion team have the kind of success that Atlanta did. It's not easy. And it's hard to do year after year because of a salary cap that is honestly designed to bring everybody back to the pack. And you've got to find ways to continually reinvent yourself and get back to the top. And I, I think you mentioned, you know, signing those young South American players. I think also this year you're seeing some veterans like Osvaldo Alonso, like Dom Dwyer, who had a goal in the opener. But you're also seeing more than anything, the homegrown players coming through the academy. And Caleb Wiley gets a goal in his first MLS appearance. George Campbell with a good performance. Uh, Tyler Wolf with a good performance. Those homegrowns are going to be the key going forward, in my opinion. And then everybody else that's signed kind of fits in what's needed. So that was great. Producer Adam uh, is in the background. He's such a Euro snob. He couldn't even be bothered to turn his camera on for the segment. Uh, <laughs> but he has the uh, the question from the fan. How excited should uh, should they be about Caleb Wiley? So how how much is he going to impact the team this season? 
I think this season, you know, be realistic. He's 17. He's got 33 games under his belt in USL championship. That's really good for a 17 year old. He started playing as a 15 year old in 2020, but he's got work to do. Um, I think long-term he is a starting left back for this team Uh, this year. Probably not on a regular basis. Andrew Gutman is actually a really good left back as well. Wiley's going to impact games, though, early on. I think he's going to come off the bench at times, like we saw in this one, up top as a left winger with his pace, getting in behind. It's going to cause some teams problems. And he's a good defender as well. When we talk about that pressing up high, he's a naturally a left back. So you put him in a, in a wing position and he's pressing, he's going to win the ball back for Atlanta United. I think long-term, be very excited about Caleb Wiley. That's what made you have the ability to, to transfer George Bellow to Armenia Bielefeld like you did in this offseason. But this year, if he plays, I think, 15 or more games, that's a really good year for him at the MLS level. Really good year. So let's, let's turn to Nashville SC. Uh, had a really good season in the Eastern Conference last year, made the playoffs. I think they were second in the Eastern Conference. Is that correct? Yeah. You talked about them yep. uh, they, were, over... they were third. They were third ah, in the third Eastern Conference. Okay. Uh, but you talked about them moving over to the Western Conference. Of course, there is going to be a lot of travel that's going to be difficult. Um, you know, with, with the success that they had last season, do you see them being able to continue that in that Western Conference this season? Yes, I think uh, their win an opening weekend was a bit of a statement. I already had them uh-huh. along with Seattle as the top two teams in the West. Um, right now, they're the top team in the West, in my opinion, with that win. Uh, Gary Smith is one of the most underrated managers in this league. I think people hold on to outdated notions about his Colorado team in 2020, um, trying to diminish him as a manager when actually I think you need to give him a lot of credit for winning MLS cup in 2010 with that Colorado team. (laughs) He's done a great job with Colorado. He did a great job here in Atlanta with the silverbacks in 2015 with a team that had a very, very small budget that was paid for by the rest of the North American soccer league. Um, He kept them competitive as long as he could until injuries really wiped out his roster. He's a very, smart manager he's more adaptable than he gets credit for i think last year you saw especially early on he was trying to find ways to get them forward more and be more attack minded um but he's going to be pragmatic and he's gonna use what he has to get the best results that he can i'm very curious to see what he does in 2022 with sean davis's addition i think it's one of the best signings kind of under the radar in mls across the league. Uh, he started with Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty in this game in Seattle. That gives you the ability to really play three holding midfielders. And he had uh, Mukhtar and Leal along with Sapong. In Sapong is your nine. Leal and Mukhtar, very free roles in front of three holding midfielders and a back line of four. That sounds defensive. It doesn't have to be because Davis can step forward and cause problems. Cardi can step forward and cause problems. Godoy scores the winning goal. He can step forward and cause problems. It can make it harder for teams to know where the attack is going to come from. I think Nashville right now is the team to beat in the West. Seattle will have a lot to say about it, 
but right now Nashville's best team in the Western Conference. Do you have plans to get up to Nashville and see the uh, the new stadium that's opening this year? Yeah, we travel with all the the road games for 92.9 the game Atlanta radio and the one time we see Nashville since they are in the other conference this year is on the road. So excited to be there. Uh, May 21st, I think, without looking at the schedule. Um, it'll be one of the first games at the stadium. Uh, and it's not the opener in the stadium, but it's one of the first games once they get it open. I can't wait to see it. Well, if you do get up there, make sure you give a shout out to super fan Kay Baker, her and uh, her <laughs> husband Brian. They'll be up there, they've got the season tickets. Um, oh, excellent. Uh, yeah, I- so go ahead, Jeff. No, I was just going to say, I was uh, surprised uh, when Nashville came, because where we're at in Chattanooga is, you know, halfway between there. But that really, it seemed to be able to draw a significant fan base through through Chattanooga without necessarily poaching fans from Atlanta United. So I'm wondering what was it that was able to draw new supporters in uh, for a team like Nashville. I've wondered about that. Uh, I've been really curious, you know, being in, in Atlanta when we've been in Chattanooga for events, I've, I've seen kind of a split allegiance. Um, I've been curious to see how that would change over time. I've wondered about like North Alabama and, and some other parts of the region where there's overlap. I think now Atlanta United is looking you know, more to the east with Charlotte, like some of the fans in South Carolina, which way do they go? Yeah. Um, there's not a blueprint for it, I, I, I don't think. I think it's honestly just down to, to who you are and where you're hooked. And, you know, maybe when Nashville came in, it was after three years with Atlanta, but there were some people in 2019 who uh, I think maybe – in my opinion, fell victim to some narratives that it was a bad season for Atlanta United. Uh, they won the Open Cup and won the Campiones Cup and <laughs> were in the Eastern Conference final and lost 2-1 to Toronto. If they'd won that, they would have been in, they would have hosted MLS Cup for back-to-back years. But there were people who didn't like Frank DeBoer, and there were people who thought that his style was too slow. So maybe Nashville coming in at that time, it was a time where there were some fans who were maybe more casual of Atlanta United who were like, okay, I'll give the new thing a try. And I think Nashville's done a good job to capture fans. Uh, I I like their game day experience. (laughs) Having been up there for that first game in 2020, um, we were there last summer, but it was right after attendances were starting to open up a little bit more and it was still kind of a smaller crowd. Um, but I think it's a, it's a good game day environment. I think they've done a good job of being very personable with their fan base and they're going to continue to grow that fan base. I think getting into their own venue and continuing the winning ways that we're seeing so far, that fan base is only going to grow and, all these kids that are coming up and playing, you know, the ones who really haven't decided kind of which way they go as a fan yet, they're going to be, you know, uh, appealed to by both teams. I think it's going to be fun to see how that shakes out. Uh, so are you starting to see an increase of away supporters? Uh, of course, now you got Nashville and then we haven't seen what will look like, but you know, you're going to be having, you know, Charlotte's not too mm-hmm. far from you guys. Uh, so what's it like, 
having to share your stadium a little bit more than you used to? Yeah, not too much. Um, Atlanta United fans are pretty good about keeping their tickets. So that, that's been really good uh, <laughs> with over 36,000, might be over 37,000 now, season ticket holders. Um, wow. There's not a lot of open seats for the visiting fans. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a couple stories that are kind of interesting. Like one, Nashville is one of the better traveling ones, obviously. I think Charlotte will be as well. Uh, Orlando in the past was a, a great traveling day for their fans. It was a lot of fun. But I think what you see with Atlanta, there's a lot of fan bases across the league that if they're kind of figuring out, okay, outside of our local rival, what game are we going to create a big away trip for? A lot of times it's Atlanta. So you're getting a large number of fans from pretty much everywhere coming in and and they're kind of near where our radio booth is so we generally get a pretty good look and and can hear them at times in the stadium so that's been cool i love that what's always blown my mind is how atlanta united fans travel and and again like to nashville that's an easy trip i think charlotte will be an easy trip and that'll be a good crowd orlando always draws a good crowd for atlanta united but I mean, there's games where we'll be in New England and I'll see, you know, 50 Atlanta United fans in New England. I'm like, what? how did this happen? Be in, in Portland. There's a good number of Atlanta United fans in Portland in 2019. They're everywhere. And, and it always surprises me. And some of it is people traveling from Atlanta, but also I think it's just, you know, people who are originally from Atlanta who are in these different markets and want to support their hometown team. That's always been really cool to see on the road and to hear when atlanta united's doing well on the road and the home crowd gets a little quiet to hear the atlanta fans get into it and get rowdy is really cool so just kind of some rapid fire to wrap up here yeah. um what what is one of the mls games that you're going to be covering that you're looking forward to going to this year um i mean i mentioned Portland, that's always one of the, the venues I like the most, and, and we're going to be out there again, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, LA Galaxy will be back in Carson this year to see uh, Chicharito. Hopefully he stays healthy. That'll be a fun game. Um, that Nashville game for sure. Both of the games with Charlotte because I think it will kick off a rivalry. Mm -hmm. uh, Atlanta and NYC is a really good matchup this year. You know, Defending champs, um, Tati Castellanos, how long is he going to be in the league? I think it's a valid question. But those are games that I'm really looking forward to. I'm maybe not looking forward to our trip this weekend in Colorado because we're looking at snow and sleet for Saturday night. <laughs> so uh, that might not be a fun experience. But um, last time we were in Colorado, it was a good win. So maybe we'll get another one of those. So uh, let's, let's go with some predictions. Who do you see winning the Supporter Shield this year? Huh. Um, the way I've generally talked about this is because I think Supporter Shield is is a little bit more of a crapshoot than it's ever been because of the unbalanced schedule. Um, and I haven't gone through to look at who has the easiest schedule of the top teams. I think where I'm at this year is I've got four teams in the East and four teams in the West that I think are a, a cut above everybody. In the East, it's Atlanta, it's New England, it is New York City, and it's Philadelphia. And in the West, it's Seattle, it's Nashville, and it's both of the L.A. teams. And 
And I've got some questions about both of the LA teams because they missed the playoffs last year, but right. I think they'll be back. And we saw a great performance from LAFC this weekend and a really good one from the LA Galaxy to beat NYC. Those are the eight that I think are the best. If we're talking supporter shield, you're talking consistency. I'm really looking at a Nashville, although that travel might catch up to them at some point. Um, I'm looking at a Philadelphia because of the way that they kind of play, although they drop points at home in week one. I think NYC will be up and down because I do think Tati Castellanos leaves in the summer. Uh, I don't think New England can do what they did another year in a row, setting a record and being as good as they were in the regular season. Maybe it's it's a Seattle or a Nashville. I, I think maybe in the West, there's more opportunities for some easier points and some road trips. Who do you think is going to be at the bottom? Um, I think Charlotte will be there. I think Charlotte has really struggled with their roster build coming into the season. Uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez gave you his thoughts before the season started, and uh, they had to be edited <laughs> for, for family audiences. <laughs> um, he needs wingers, and he's only got one on the roster really right now. That's That's an issue. Cincinnati, I thought would be better. I didn't look at week one, losing 5-0 in Austin. Um, I think Austin will struggle at times this year. Those are the three I keep coming back to in, in both conferences. Yeah. So we had uh, – now that uh, there's going to be – this will be the first time for the new MLS next really ugliest logo I've seen uh, – Starting this year now, of course, that to us, for us being League One's fans, we're used to seeing a lot of those teams played. Yeah. With the exception of North Texas, they were fairly easy to go through. So, how do you think when on two levels? How do you think they're going to fare on their own league? And two, how does that help Atlanta United by having them in in a more of a development league rather than a competitive league? Well, Atlanta United two will be one of the four if i remember correctly that's yeah. gonna do one more year in usl they'll be right. in usl championship this year yeah um i want to see mls next pro really be that development league uh, i want to see academy players get time there i do think it's important though and, and it's been an important thing for atlanta united too over the years having called all, all of those games i I noticed the effect of not just the academy kids, but you got to have a backbone of some maybe not older players. At times you'll get guys coming down from the first team, but guys who have gone through college, gone, guys who have played maybe a year or two as a pro already, they, you need those guys. Robbie Mertz, I think, is a prime example. Coming from Pittsburgh, uh, playing in college at Michigan, He's a mentor for some of the young teenage academy players who are playing for Atlanta United, too. You need that. Yeah, I think you need some of that. I hope that the MLS Next Pro teams have that because if they're just relying on kids, I don't know if they get all the development that they're looking for. Um, I'm interested to see how experimental the league is because they've talked about it being something where they can try some different things. Uh, I'm, I'm good with that because I think you do need to test some things out like the, the concussion protocols and substitutions and things that can be a good place to do it. 
I hope it doesn't get too tricksy, and and I don't think it will. I, I it doesn't wouldn't make any sense for it. You me. don't think they're going to bring back the the shootout from the you know the ninety five? Hey, I, I've said they need to have that, that period to break ties. Not it break ties in playoffs. <laughs> I don't want to, ties in the regular season. I'm fine, but I'll take the thirty five yard shootout over a penalty shootout any day of the week to decide a game. <laughs> I'm crazy like that. So um, you, yeah, good. No, I was going to say, do you think? By having United 2 in Kennesaw, which is still Atlanta area, but it's kind of its own area. Do you think that's beneficial than them just sharing the same field, which is usually half empty? Do you think they're developing their own fan base? I don't think so, and I don't think that's the intention for the second teams, if they're in the same market anyway. I don't think it's about creating a separate fan base i do hope this year especially that people on maybe that northern side of town are people who you know maybe haven't been able to get season tickets there's a waiting list for atlanta united mm-hmm. come out and watch atlanta united too and see that next generation you know we've talked about caleb wiley 33 games with the twos over the last two years george campbell was a regular in 2019 tyler wolf scored six goals last year for the twos um Bello and miles robinson had significant moments with the twos in their development it's it's different than going to an mls game with you know forty thousand or sixty-seven thousand, like we saw this weekend it's more intimate you hear everything on the field i think it's great for kids to well maybe there's some coaches they don't need to hear from but uh <laughs> in general it's great for kids to hear all the conversation on the field it's great for them to see it up close. They'll get a chance to meet a lot of the guys afterwards. Uh, it's just a different environment. And I, I hope that's something that MLS Next Pro tries to continue to drive home. I, I really hope all the teams put a lot of effort into this because I, I think the MLS clubs that have put a lot of effort, and you mentioned North Texas, they're a prime example. Dallas is one of the best clubs at developing talent. They put a lot of effort into North Texas. They were a good team on the field and they produced players for their first team. That's the job. That's the, the role here. So I've got two more predictions here before we're done. Who do you see winning the uh, MLS cup right now? um, You know, coming into the season, I I probably would have said Seattle. And now I've got some pause to that after Nashville went into their house and, and beat them. I do think Atlanta's got as good of a shot as anybody. Uh, What we've got to see, and maybe we have a better idea of this at the end of this first transfer window that ends in early May. There's still time for teams to add pieces. But I think for Atlanta, I got to see Tiago Almada with this team. I get to see his impact. Get Marcelino Moreno healthy. He didn't play in preseason. He played about 15 minutes in game one. And now you got to get Luis Araujo healthy. Hamstring injuries out for... Uh, at least four weeks got to get those guys combining because if you get those three with joseph martinez that is maybe the most talented attack that is in the league maybe um there are going to be teams are going to argue that but i think with a front four like that and to go with a good defense too so i mean i really do think atlanta's got as good of a shot as anybody in that list uh, okay, final one. Who do you think is going to win the crossbar challenge at All-Star Weekend? 
<laughs> um, I love that competition, by the way. That was that that first one when Nani hit it and on the last ball. That was pretty cool. Um, let's see. So you got to think of who will be the All Star. So it's a it's a popularity contest to a degree. Uh. I don't know if Vela's in the league at that point because his contract's up at June 30, and we'll have to see if they get a renewal with him. I As don't think that's... Jeff, he wins every popularity contest on this show. <laughs> I don't think Chicharito is a, a crossbar guy. Um, I will go with Lucas Zellerion of Columbus. All right. Lucas I've got one right. got it here first. Call, call Vegas. <laughs> the most important question, I'm disappointed Alex did not ask this. Uh-oh. At the Mercedes-Benz, at your home arena, what is the best concession food? Well, see, I'm in the press box. So, I mean, I, I get the, it's honestly amazing press box food, first off, compared to some of the others around the league. I get that. Um, I did for our first game because uh, 92.9 The Game was broadcasting from inside the stadium on the other end. So it was right as everything was open, and I got to walk the 300 level over to where the, that broadcast was being done. So I'd never done that on a game day before. So I got to see some of the different booths. Um, Delia's Chicken Sausage is a really good local place here in Atlanta, and they're in the stadium as well. Highly, highly recommended. Really, really good. So uh, if Soccer Chat comes there, because because we do the podcast, we should count as press. So you should be able to get us in there and get some of the press food, right? I can at, the press food. Hey, I can at least get you with the right people with the club to apply for a credential. I can help with that. All right, that's I don't get start. to give you the credential though. Unfortunately, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. We might actually be recognized as a legitimate podcast here, guys. <laughs> you guys are a legitimate <laughs> podcast. Come on. All well, right. So, <laughs> thank, thank you so much for your time. Of course, everyone can follow him. He's got it down here uh, at Longshoe on Twitter. Of course, follow at Soccer down here. They they do lots of great interviews every now and then. Checking in with the Red Wolves, yeah. uh, Sean McDaniel and Jimmy Obleda and things like that. Is there any anywhere else that we can follow you, Jason? Yeah, those that's it at Longshoe and at Soccer down here. Um, we're on Twitch uh, mornings starting at nine oh five. We try to you know prescribe or subscribe to Turner time back in the day if you remember the old five after the hour kind of start time. So we're nine oh five Twitch TV slash Soccer down here. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to having you again later on in the season to check in. Uh, thanks for having me on, y'all. Yeah, you're still muted, Adam. Welcome back. Live radio. The question is would when did I fun start experiment and to stop see talking. how long you would have gone before you finally I mean, realized I don't, you were muted. How much of that was me just going full <laughs> dub Pretty over? Good. Yeah, just saying. Um so that was good. just uh just some housekeeping. Um, I guess, you know, we need to let the truth come out. Uh, you noticed Jason kind of took a shot at the uh, Canadian Cup. And uh, Jeff Jeff was a little outraged. And uh, that's part of why he, he 
couldn't be part of the program tonight. Yeah, yeah, he, so, he, he couldn't handle it. Uh, that uh, being hopefully, out, hopefully we can uh, hopefully we can heal those wounds. We really look forward to having Jason back, and uh, we appreciate him taking the time to to talk with us. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll even get Adam to watch an MLS game at some point. You're a snob. Um, so we had a lot that we still wanted to go over, but we're already well into an hour um, into the show. So we're going to rapid fire the rest of our uh, rundown that we had for you guys. Um, we're going to jump right into the two things that are happening on the U.S. national side and really just give a real high-level overview. U.S. national team on the men's side is in a really good position World Cup qualifying-wise. Um, are they? They are in the – I mean, yeah, I, I think they are. Like, Do you not? They've got to win two games on the road or at least come away with draws. They're, it could yeah. go really bad and be really tense or everything will be fine. No, and I think they're in, I think they're fine. I'm they're pretty in a good sure position. it's going to be really tense and they're going to have to come away with a result in Costa Rica and I just I that just it gives me the heebie-jeebies. Well, I mean so is it because you you're because I don't know. I don't I don't not as freaked out as you are. Obviously I'd like to be in Canada's place versus ours, right? But I just don't think we're going to drop like we did before. I think we're we're in a good in my mind we're in a good oh. position. Here's hoping. And, yeah, you know Mexico's not going to be an easy game, but I think Panama will be, and I don't think that you're going to see anyone jump up from below Mexico and take us over because that's the thing we've got to finish in the top three. It's not like we have to be above Mexico, and since I think we beat Panama, that Panama can't get to us. All right. So that's kind of my thought. All right. Second thing, She Believes Cup went on. A lot of young players for the women played. Uh, a lot of turnover as they are, you know, transitioning from the kind of the old guard um, of players. You know, you've you got, you know, players like Tobin and such that have moved on that aren't coming back to the national team. Um, so you did, you got a little bit of an insight into what they may look like, but it's still early in their building and they, you know, they weren't playing stiff competition, so great on them. But those are those type of situations are always kind of meant to be blowouts for enjoyment, and that's what the, that's what we got out of that. I still maintain that for the women's World Cup, we could probably just take our B team and put them in qualifying and qualify. And qualify, and the yes. Only but... real, the only real downside of that is that unfortunately the women's side just doesn't have as many opportunities and games. Uh, so you would end up probably with a lot of uh, of your you know your top best players not getting chances to play at that high level. So yeah, but it's right. great to see the the new generation. So yeah, good luck to and them. I th- and I think I think you're going to see you know a lot stiffer competition as we get further and further in as the other countries are starting to put a better focus on the women's game, which is only a good thing because honestly. It's like it used to be like watching U.S. men's basketball when they actually sent the NBA players. It was excruciating <laughs> blowouts, and it wasn't enjoyable even as a fan of the team. Um, and so, seeing them have be challenged, seeing those those Netherlands teams, the England teams that are getting better, seeing those teams that are improving, makes it really important that we build out. And I think we're we're showing that we're going to reload, not rebuild. So that's awesome. All right, European catch up. Uh, your team's a lot more involved in Europe than mine. <laughs> Mine's more of a British update. Uh, 
yeah the europe is fun um it's the uh the lower divisions of english soccer that we have to worry about um oh, it's, it's you, not the chelsea ownership you no. may know that we're just gonna we're just gonna glide on past that bob <laughs> um if you could make an offer i'd appreciate it bob yeah. martino yeah. um if you'll notice down below i have my problems with keppa literally gave up the same goal twice to lower division teams in the FA Cup. He drives me crazy. It's um, not because of how well he played in your shootout? No. You know, goalkeeper's probably going to miss penalties. That is what it is. How about stop one of 11? Eh, you know. Especially the ones that were hit right at you. Maybe those. <laughs> Just thinking. So, yeah. not Not a fan. Anyway. Uh, feeling good about Europe. It, it's, you know, there's not much you can complain about. They're in pretty much all the competitions you want them to be in. I, I, I don't expect them to overtake Man City, but mathematically, they're still in it. And We're mathematically in getting above you. You're okay. also mathematically in missing top four. Congrats. They're in it. They're still alive in the FA Cup, even though the performances have been kind of... Ugh. Um, you know, the charity of starting Keppa to let the younger, younger teams have a chance. Um, and there's, you know, they get, they get past Lie or Lille or whatever they're called in, uh, in Champions League and it's going to be a tougher draw. So we'll just have to see where things go, but you know, we're champions of the world. Uh, what else are we going to say? Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm actually really happy with where I'm, my team's sitting, um, sitting, you know, two, you know, two points behind Man U for fourth, but with three games in hand and we're not Tottenham. So we're not going to lose those three games. Um, <laughs> I feel, I feel pretty good about that. Uh, being ahead of Tottenham by three points with a game in hand always feels good. Um, that's a big turnaround from the beginning of the season, which is a reminder to any fan the first couple of weeks of the season does not set your season unless you're, you're the name of your team is Man City or Liverpool or Norwich City or Watford, right? Um, <laughs> if you're the worst and you're the best, you're typically going to set your season very early on. If you're a team that's fighting for those playoff spots in the U.S. or fighting for those Champions League or Europa League spots in EPL, you can't judge it by the first few games. Those teams, it's a long season. And so we, if you translate that to USL, um, you're going to see a lot of change, changes happening in USL this year. And that what happens early in the season is not necessarily going to be an insight into what the season's going to be like. Union Omaha is basically a whole new team. Um, Greenville had a lot of turnover on their team. Uh, Ford Madison attempted to reload, but they always attempt to reload. Um, Tormenta's kind of a whole different team. And then you've got these new teams like Hailstorm and Fuego that look like they're building strong teams. So it's how quickly are these teams going to mesh and how important will those early gains be? You get insight looking at, at European leagues and seeing what those leagues do. You know, Arsenal loses to, you know, the bees in Brentford. And Brentford look like, like they may actually be fighting for a Europa League spot for a good three months of the season. And then they've gone back to what we really expected. Right. And Arsenal, people were making jokes about, you know, are they going to get relegated about six games into the season? And now there's a good chance that they're going to easily sew up fourth and have a shot at third. And that's because it's a long season. And so as an Arsenal fan, that's exciting. And did, did January suck? 
yeah, getting kicked out of the FA Cup and the and the Carbo in the same month, that's not fun. Um, but at the same time, we don't have much depth, so it may work to our advantage. So all right. So um, last if you're Cincinnati, it's gonna be a really long season. Just always same. It's it's always gonna be <laughs> a really long <laughs> season. Oh, I feel I feel bad for their fans, kind of, but not really. Eh. Anyways, all right, so I think we've got one last thing for it, and that would be the Biggleswade report. Is I'm there... just not good at my job. All right, folks, time for the Biggleswade report. Long time since we've checked in, but we're going to also check in with our uh, our friends from up north, Hamilton Forge. Uh, you may remember we adopted them because they are, of course, sponsored by Tim Hortons. Uh, so Hamilton Forge, if you could send a Tim Hortons jersey this way, uh, that'd be uh, adult extra large. Thank you. Uh, Hamilton Forge playing in CONCACAF Champions League right now. Uh, I think they're behind to uh, a club in Mexico, and I can't remember which one they're playing, but the second uh, leg coming up. And they will be playing the much maligned by Jason Longshore Canadian Championship on June 4th against Toronto at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton. Uh, That should be quite a game. Uh, Toronto and Hamilton, if you're not familiar with geography, they're very close to each other, so that's going to be lots of folks uh, at that game that are you know from both clubs. So that should be pretty uh, pretty exciting. Moving to our friends in Biggleswade, hope y'all are doing well. Uh, Biggleswade Town, the Waiters, uh, recently changed their manager. Uh, our, our good friend Chris Nunn. Um, first time we talked to him, he kind of made it clear that he was there in kind of a caretaker role. Uh, and I think with COVID ended up staying maybe even a year or so longer than he than he really intended uh, before passing it off. So they've got a new manager now. Uh, they have got some work to do. They are seven points from safety in the Southern Southern League uh, premiere. Uh, so they're, they're kind of looking at relegation unless they can pick some things up here towards the end of the season they uh, they did have a, a win uh over the weekend so good luck to the waiters Biggleswade fc however uh they had kind of a slow start to their season but they have gone on a tear and they are sitting at ninth in the uh, southern league division one uh and then of course our friends Biggleswade united uh, they have gotten themselves uh, four wins on the year. Uh, we talked about how they had to basically change leagues. Uh, they went from uh, the Spartan South Midland to the United Counties League. Uh, ended up having to lose a lot of players uh, because of the change in leagues, just kind of the way that, uh, that the travel worked out. They had a lot of players that weren't going to be able to stick with them. Uh, they've managed to get a few of those folks back, and Coach Christian Colas has... Uh, done a heck of a job just keeping things together. They are uh, one point above the relegation line right now with their wins. Uh, and the Biggleswade United Ladies in the Eastern Regional Women's Football League sitting in third place with uh, three games in hand. So Biggleswade United Ladies, the Reds, uh, they're doing a great job as well. That 
is your Biggles Wade report. So. Well, thank you, Alex. Brandon D. Wrong, Brandon. Brandon Biggles oh. me. Way off. Well, still, got to give Brandon Dean a shout out. Always. And on that note, bye. Hey, we don't have Jeff here to say some sort of awkward thing about, I don't know, stuff.